0: Welcome again to another edition of the Southwest Climate Podcast. Mike Cremens. Hey Zach, how's it going? Give me your best word. Happy graduation day. Happy graduation day. Yeah, we're not graduating. When did you graduate? Way too old for that. (laughs)
1: Uh, Long, long time ago. Uh, Yeah. Prior to the internet.
0: Congratulations to uh, uh, another class, huh? Yep. I missed the
1: graduation. I never. I I, see. I told you should go tonight. What, what, What happens tonight? No, just put a robe on. And go walk. Oh, I, I should. Yeah, I'm just saying you didn't do it, so just walk on tonight. Well, I can tell you this:
0: it is it is quiet around here, so that's that,
1: that's that's kind of it's nice. quiet. But it's windy outside, it's oh, blowing man. all of those uh mortarboards. I have no idea what you're talking about.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you are preempting a conversation that we're going to have today because this is the windy season. It is. Yep. April, it's
1: all May, we got going for us. June, June, June.
0: Sometimes, sometimes June. Okay, sometimes we'll talk June. about the windy season. All right, so. Our agenda is a little bit of a recap of April and May, the May climate. We'll, we'll may even get into the to the June climate. April um,
1: showers bring May flowers. Yeah, no, we didn't get really much. Don't.
0: We didn't get much April showers. No, no, and that's actually either. that's that's an Eastern thing, isn't it? It <laughs> totally <laughs> confusing me. And you know, we we should talk about some of the bigger the bigger stories here in the Southwest. And to me, that's the the drought situation, which you know we haven't really dug into in a few years quite frankly but it's on the rise we do drought like nobody else it's on the rise mike in fact it reminded me of jeez oh, <laughs> <laughs> all right mike you know april is not one of my favorite months it's pretty usually it's pretty boring let's
1: just get on to your favorite month what's your favorite month i love i love july and august i mean the monsoon that was it right I just want to remember that because you're
0: going to be in July and be like, I hate this month. No, from a climate perspective, July and August are the most interesting. Okay. But, you know, I have to admit, like, April's pretty cool in terms of just amazing weather. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like cool mornings. Pretty, there you go. Yeah. See,
1: it went from you just hating it to now you're like, oh, well, you it's know,
0: not so bad. I, I wear different different hats, you know. I mean, I think from a, <laughs> it's a relative. from a research perspective, it's and and somebody that's trying to talk about weather and climate and get people excited about it, like, yeah. what do you say about what do you say about April and May? What do you say about May? Well, you're going to find out. Okay, so let's talk about the wind. We're done, right?
1: I think we're good. <laughs> Why is May so windy? Transition month. We have a seasonal transitional climate. In the Southwest, and we move from mid latitude weather patterns coming out of the West, and as we go into April, May, and June, the sun gets higher, and the jet stream retreats to the north, and the high pressure builds in from the south, and in that process, we get kind of caught between the gears of uh, these weather systems, and the wind kicks up. So it's it's the high pressure system. So there's a there's a there's a gradient that's set, that's set up. That's right. Yep. So it's surface winds in the mid latitudes are a response to surface temperature gradients over horizontal distances so if there's cold air uh, at the surface near warm air horizontally it's going to drive a pressure gradient and that pressure gradient will then drive a a wind so we get building too. we get
0: building high pressure in the south as it, as the sun is the, the angle of the sun is
1: yeah so you get surface heating right and so we have warm air to the south the continental climate of the U.S. in late winter into spring is still quite cold, and as it dries out too, you get a lot of radiational cooling. So you can have a lot of cold air just to the north of us with these storm systems colliding with you know the warming surface of the parts of Mexico. So we, we get into these pretty strong temperature gradients uh, over short distances, and we suffer the wind for, because of it. What about—
0: The passage of low pressure systems.
1: Yeah, it's kind of all related. So those low pressure systems uh, at upper levels are going to be related to and sort of force these surface temperature patterns across the west, and so that's also going to be part of the part of the process as well.
0: And that sort of situation appears in mid to late April, and or probably mid early actually early April, right? As
1: okay, so seasonal transitional climate. What does that even just in first principles yeah. mean is that it, it, when we think about the Southwest having a seasonal transitional climate, we have strong seasonality in the, in the sense that we have a wintertime season that gives us our one shot at precipitation in out of two in the whole year. And that is driven by mid-latitude storm systems. So they, they're coming out of the West. They're interacting with the jet stream. They're driven by the jet stream. That is... Jet stream is driven by the temperature gradient from north to south, you know, cold poles, warm equator. And in that zone, it's gonna drive those weather systems and we're gonna be, you know, part of that mix of weather in the winter season. So starting kind of November ish, it's not mm-hmm. been right. that clean and clear. December, we're usually into it. January, February, March is kind of our prime season, right? This year, game over, right? We just didn't we didn't have much of that action at all. By the time you get into April, the whole northern hemisphere is starting to warm up. We're starting to get more sun in the northern hemisphere. The jet stream is going to follow that cold air to the north as it retreats around the pole. It's going to Jet stream is going to respond to that. So we're far enough south that we start to, at the beginning of the spring, all, already get out of the action of the jet stream, right? So the jet stream is now really starting to bring storm systems to our north, which is what we saw, right? We saw in April – the Intermountain West mm-hmm. and the Northern Rockies still see the storm systems, while we were on the warm and dry side of those storm systems as they passed by.
0: Now, occasionally, we do get storms in April and May. Yeah, yeah, and even historically. And so, what, what would what would actually co- what would be a, the pattern that would set up that would actually cause the the jet to sort of wiggle down? Yeah, further um, south.
1: It's going to be um, most likely something upstream. You know, so upstream across the. Either in the Pacific Ocean, like sometimes it's El Niño, La Niña forced. Even in the 1516 El Niño, we had kind of a mixed up Pacific Ocean jet stream variability, and we saw some weather extend into April and even into May with the storm track. And then there, you know, there can be other just sort of natural variability components of it—stuff that's happening over the north pacific all the way over east asia with east asian jet send wiggles downstream we can get into the action there typically though we don't have any moisture to work with the east pacific is not going to give up much water at that point and it's going to have to come out of the north pacific and it's tough to precipitate and it's also
0: getting warmer at that time
1: yeah absolutely yeah so right
0: so warmer warmer (laughs) climbs would then mean it would whatever moisture that you have it's Sort of harder to, yeah, to wring it out.
1: Exactly right. So as as you get into April and even later in April and into May, the storm systems that come by, even if they have moisture, it's in a warmer atmosphere, so you're further away from 100% relative humidity. It's harder to then just squeeze out that. Moisture. Would you
0: ever get anything sort of wafting in from the south?
1: Yeah, we actually had I I had, a, one of those 10 inch rains. I'm doing air quotes right now, meaning that there were you know 10 inches between drops. <laughs> as it As it fell, and it got my car all wet, we had a bunch of verga, you know which is raining at higher uh, mm-hmm. altitudes and then it falls into a dry atmosphere, uh, but some drops actually made it to the ground. It was on a Sunday in April where we had the buildups and the you wake south. up in the morning and there's like like yeah. dust
0: on your windshield yeah, exactly,
1: yeah, this was yeah. like in the middle of the day, we had these storm clouds that were pancakes, they were really, really high above the mountains, and they were they were thick. And they had cirrus tops on them and real, real high bases. They were just these squat little clouds. But they were, there was enough moisture that was that was subtropical moisture kind of sneaking in up out of Mexico. And it caught southeast Arizona, a couple of lightning strikes, a little bit of rain mm. here and there. From a, uh, that from, was, but, the, you know, that's kind of pre, 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 pre-season monsoon kind of yeah. action. <laughs> Preluding that. Well, maybe that's a, a forerunner. <laughs> no. I'm not buying that. It can happen all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anything can happen. Amazing, interesting uh, season. Isn't... And May a really good season for cutoff lows. You can get the little, the breaking waves out of the active jet stream at higher latitudes, will sometimes orphan a low pressure system in the East Pacific. And it can wander around. And typically, what those will do will generate cirrus clouds. And so you'll get those kind of weird mm. hazy May days where there's cirrus, there's no precip. Sometimes the wind's up, sometimes it's down. But it-
0: but I think the point climatologically is that in, in these months, those episodes are just fewer. They become fewer and
1: far, far yeah, between. Yeah, May is not a month of necessarily doldrums. There's a lot going on weather-wise. It just doesn't, especially in southern Arizona, do much precip-wise. The northern part of the state and higher elevations can pick up May precipitation, but it just certainly doesn't happen every year.
0: Well, let's look at... So this is for all of
1: Arizona. Lots of variability from year to year.
0: A lot of variability. It's all, obviously, the totals are, are low. Most of the years fall below an inch. I mean, and that's actually quite, yeah. quite a lot for, for southern Arizona in, right. in that sense. I mean, November, December, and January, and February, the, you know, the peak winter months. Uh, only experience about it about an inch of rain anyway. Right. So right. but yeah, so there's you know about half the years are a tenth of an inch or, or, or lower and a, and about half the years are above it, up to about a, up to about an inch. You know, there was one year, ninety two. You remember nineteen ninety
1: two? I was alive. <laughs> but I wasn't here. Yeah.
0: What was happening in nineteen ninety two? I actually graduated from high school. Really?
1: Yeah. So it was graduation. I probably had a mortar. Where oil.
0: where was that, Michigan? Uh,
1: Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? 92 was... So two
0: inches in Michigan is probably... Uh, <laughs> I mean, that happens get like... That and you, get,
1: <laughs> you get that overnight. You wake up and you go like, huh, it may have rained. I have no idea. You get idea. that while you brush your teeth. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So 92, I do remember. I was a weather nerd even back then, but that was the year without a summer. <laughs> the year without a summer. <laughs> Seriously, it was. It was super cold. It was a La Nina. You know what? This was
0: a year without a winter rain. It was a year without a winter. <laughs> but last year, you know, we got half an inch. We got, I think, one one event, if I remember correctly, or... What are you talking about? Last year, last May. Really? Well, I don't know. I'm looking at the data. Oh, this is Arizona-wide. <laughs> yeah,
1: I like it. Yeah. Not, not, I'm sure not somebody, somebody did. Yeah, see, okay, to your point, there is a gradient across Arizona in May. So the southern part of the state very, very rarely picks up a good. That's a good, that's a good yeah. point. So you get further north. Like Flagstaff... On average, can pick up an extra inch. Well, and
0: that relates to what you're saying before. Yeah. I mean, the jet yeah. stream is actually for it's Seasonal retreating further, climate, further north. So obviously, the further north you are, the more chances you you have to get some of that. Totally um, pivot point. Pivot point. Okay, May is also the time where we start seeing our our peak temperatures cresting into the to the hundreds. Yeah. Last month we had a bet about the first. The, oh, did we? Did we do on-
1: a ice break on that? Yeah.
0: What was it? It was the the date of the first hundred degree temperature in Tucson. I believe you said mid, mid-May. mid I said something like April 18th, and I believe the earliest on record in Southern Arizona was, was 19th. So I was like- it's I was so going, unlike was going you to, to go five standard deviations you went clim- out. So you went climatology. Of course, I'm a climatologist. Yeah. And I, I mean, I just didn't know what the climatology was. Or I, I, I clearly would have done that because that, <laughs> that's the safe bet. Of course Turned it out, May 6th. May 6 was the first day in in southern Arizona, well in, in in Tucson. Okay. So what's what's the was the climatology the 15th? Yeah. It's been getting earlier through through time. I think when you average it over the entire period of record, it's like May 25th. But, you know, in the last 30 years, I, I believe it's, you know, May 17th. And uh, you know, a little bit more climatology for for everyone, but the average in the 1981 to 2010 period for the number of 100 degree Fahrenheit days in May is four. Now it was three in the 71 to 2000 period. And then if you go back another 10 years, it was two. And, you know, the 1951 to 1980 period, it was one. So, you know, it's been steadily increasing. Yeah. And of course, as you go into the summer, June, obviously we experience more days of high maximum temperatures over a hundred. July is, I believe July is the peak month. July eighteen out of uh, out of out of thirty one, so a little bit more than half of those days are ab- above hundred.
1: You know, it was interesting. I was looking at a little bit of the data for Tucson too. and in twenty sixteen, there wasn't a single hundred degree day in May, and wow. in twenty thirteen as well.
0: And there has been how many have have, have there been? Just one, May this 6? year. Yeah, I mean May six was the first one. So uh, yesterday I'd... was one hundred
1: two. Okay, so two. So we've had two.
0: That's what we had to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> so more, it's your favorite more, month, right? More 100, 100 degree Fahrenheit days. Woohoo! Yeah, uh, we sh- we we didn't talk about rainfall really. Right. It, yeah, it's been not a lot. In yeah. fact, you know, we said this last time. There haven't there has not been in southern Arizona for the most part rainfall since the mid February event. If I'm if I'm correct, Mike, fact check
1: me here. <laughs> for Tucson, that is correct. Yeah, but other parts of the state have actually picked up. SPITS, basically. SPITS. SPITS. That's a technical Tra- term. Trace I think it's an acronym. Yeah, Trace amounts. The There was actually a storm system that right at the crossover from April into May, right at the time that the tinder fire was actually picking up. So the tinder fire was a, a wildfire to the southeast of Flagstaff um, burning up on the Mogollon Rim. had picked up and burned in some really intense fire weather in late April with w- the wind that we were actually talking about and some of these low pressures coming coming by. One of the low pressure systems actually had enough um, moisture with it and it was cold enough, and it was what we were talking about too. This was actually a quite cold storm, so it didn't even have to have as much moisture, but it put down a, a bit of snow mm. um, on this wildfire in late April. So, I mean, they, they were dealing with very intense Uh, Fire danger, and then all of a sudden had snow on the fire, which took the edge off of it. But then quickly, quite fortuitous. Yeah, quite fortuitous. They still don't. I don't believe they have it under control as of yet. And right on the heels of that storm, the temps went right back up above average, and so the whole state's kind of baking out again on the heels of that storm. But that storm did drop some precip, measurable precip, in Flagstaff and Winslow. Interesting enough, had which has not seen much precip at all. To, yeah, Winslow ended up picking up about nine hundredths of an inch, which was a third of the total precip they've had in October. So <laughs> it was not not been good. And we'll talk more about sort of the drought conditions across the state. Obviously,
0: this this is a time of year when you know fires pick up, just generally speaking. But given the situation that, that we're in right now, I mean, this looks like we're in Potentially for a pretty bad fire season. I mean, it di- it didn't necessarily
1: start early this year. I'll... It it really didn't. You know, we have all these fire weather stations across the state, and they're typically on forest service lands, or so the remote automated weather uh, stations, and they're they're usually on public lands, and but they're all sort of cited, and they collect variables and data that evaluate fire weather danger on a daily basis, and so there are indices like something called the energy release component, which is an index to give you a sense of, given the weather conditions of temperature, relative humidity, the fuel potential fuel moisture in wood that will give you an indication of, given how the weather has evolved over a period of time, whether or not you'd expect to see explosive fire growth. And that index in the early part of the winter was... Well above average, so say in January, because we didn't have any precip. And once we got into February and we had some of the precip across southern Arizona, you saw some of these fire indices just crater, Mm -hmm. crater to sort of record low levels. And it wasn't more than a month later that they were back up above average to near record levels because of the heat building back in.
0: It is really interesting because we basically had one, again, we had sort of one small period of of rainfall this winter in that that mid-February period. But But that was, it was epic. Well, right. I mean, yeah, but, I mean, it was like
1: such a weird winter because yeah, but of in the, the way it stacked up.
0: In a sense, I mean, this that sort of reset the dial in terms of what you were just talking about in terms of fire. It
1: did, but it was real temporary. And that, that's what the interesting thing is looking at these, these fire weather indices, which are really responding to sort of short-term variables in, in weather. Like they moved that – wet. and so again, remember the February event cut – through the southern southeast third of the state and it was bone dry to the north of it and really wet to the south of it the fire weather indices in the southern part of the state cratered nobody else did everybody else kind of bumped along like the tinder fire had terrible fire conditions the whole whole winter ours though it it took a month for us to go from below average to above average again on fire weather because the you know march and in april just turned right around we're Record dry and record warm again. So it, the benefit that we got out of that event was lost pretty immediately. You know, the but way had that, we not had that event, I mean, or yeah, had we, that a, right, or had we
0: had, yeah. you know, half of what what we ended up getting,
1: our analog right now is if you look at fire weather conditions or or fire danger in say like the Tano National Forest or Apache Sit Graves or even Coconino, that's what Coronado would look like right now if we wouldn't have had that February. But it's pretty. It, we're probably catching up mm. to that quickly uh, as we go forward. So now it's we're we're in this race of fire season to get to July fourth, basically, right? We're, as soon as we're the in the ra- yeah, yeah when the monsoon it's starts. Totally, this fire season is all now about counting days. Now,
0: you know, I say this every fire season, but. The precept, the drought, the snowpack, the soil moisture—all of these sort of physical dimensions to fire are are, are really important. But there's yeah. also the land management. There's also the campfires, the totally. you know other human things that cause half half the fires in right. in the Southwest anyway. It is a complicated algorithm, nonetheless. Yeah. Obviously, the drier and hotter, the conditions, the, the fewer snowpack, the just the longer time that you're sort of in the. Oh, absolutely. On the sharp end, if
1: you will. Honestly, this season, though, is is not unlike 2002.
0: Well, it was 2002. So, then. 2002
1: is like, it is a draw of record depending on where you were at and what time period you're looking at, and basically those those two aspects. And it was the year that we had the Rodeo Chattisky fire and the Aspen fire down here in the Catalinas. So, it was, you know, big, very destructive, out of control fires that erupted in late May and burned into June. So the the background conditions are very similar. We've got stations all over the state now that are in their driest sort of cool season precip records of their own, you know, periods of records.
0: Yeah, we should also say, I mean, it's not just the the snowpack and the and and the lack thereof, which is obviously related to precipitation, but right. the low snowpack is sort of compounding because Absolutely. the snowpack sits on the landscape A lot longer than obviously
1: right um, so you don't have the soil moisture it stresses the vegetation out much earlier in the season because they're not drawing on the soil moisture and then it's also the the moisture in the fuels the down dead fuels ends up not it's just not there so it's not a it's not it's like a slow slow release of uh, tempering fire danger up to the monsoon it's just ready to go it's ready to go right now
0: yeah and then there's a you know another important part of this which you know, people always talk about like within like the, the global warming or the climate change, like how small one a one degree temperature change is. You know, yeah. this is a case where you know a one degree temperature change, warmer conditions, one degree warmer conditions on a dry landscape
1: just exacerbates yeah. it in sort of nonlinear ways. Yep. And it's in the whole context of force mortality, and we've got drought stress trees that have been kicking off across the southwest due to the climate change signal, the kind of creeping crowd of the increasing temperatures, the feedback that you're talking about with the soil moisture, the changes in sort of the pest dynamics that are killing off trees, all of these things converging on a drought year like this makes it a possibility that it's worse than the, even the drought that we had in 2002. The fuse is lit for this fire season and it, to the point that the, the land management agencies are not screwing around this year. What like does that mean? The fire restrictions you know, went into effect. I camped through the spring, and typically even in the dry southwest, you can go to a campground and have a campfire in late May. That's right. A few right? weeks ago,
0: or actually three weeks ago, I yeah, think. they they're they... done.
1: There was a period when, I can't remember, one of the summers several years ago, they closed Coconino Forest. They, they closed it. They closed the roads like they do in the wintertime where you can't drive anywhere. The summer wreck was done until they started getting rain. Yeah, I remember that. So, I mean, that's that's when you get to the point where they're like, we're going to keep human ignitions down as much as we can. There was a a news post that the Tonno issued several hundred citations the first weekend that they put the fire restrictions into effect. So the land management agencies are out there they're really at, trying to take actively the, the risk this. seriously. Yeah. So, I mean, that gives you an indication too that out on the land that people are worried. Yeah.
0: Just to put the temperature in a little bit of perspective. So April temperatures across the West were above average to much above average. Actually, if you look at Arizona and the Western half of New Mexico, even parts of Eastern Arizona experienced their warmest April on record. And And much of, actually, if you look at this map, east of the Colorado Rockies or the Rockies, actually, that go all the way north-south through, through the U.S. East of that, it is below average, and, and west of it, it is above average, with the sort of the epicenter of the warm temperatures being in over Arizona, actually.
1: That pattern is, you know, record coldest April over the upper Midwest, and record warmest for Arizona, for parts of Arizona.
0: Yeah, and when you look, actually, beyond April, and going back basically 12 12 calendar months. The four corners states, so Utah, Colorado, New Mexico, and Arizona, if you look at that lump, warmest on record, 123 years. Arizona's the warmest. New Mexico was the second warmest. Colorado and Utah were the the third warmest on record. And you couple that with, again, this is the last 12 months, which in in terms of precipitation also combines both the, the monsoon and the and the and, and the winter precept. Arizona seventh driest. Actually, that was surprising to me. Yeah. Seventh driest in the, over that period.
1: Yeah, and so the only thing to pull us out of being the the driest was July.
0: God bless July. <laughs> no, it's. It was amazing. Yeah, July. it was an amazing. Yeah. I mean, again, that was like eight inches of rain in, in for in, in three weeks. Yeah, I mean, that it was, was it. So it was that period. Yeah, and then it was yeah. the, the the three days in in mid February accounted for probably what ninety percent of our. That's rain. a good point,
1: right? So yeah, if you look at the full year total, probably eighty percent of it came in six weeks. We gotta have a better
0: I bet it's higher than eighty percent.
1: You're probably right.
0: So between October and now, we re- received a total of two point five eight inches. Um, within that mid-February period, two inches of that. So that's 80% of that rain came in that. um, That's what I meant. Yeah. Oh, okay. (laughs) As long as we're clear now. In the monsoon season, the total was eight and a half inches. And in those three-week periods in July, received seven of that eight and a half inches. So it's over 80%. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I win. I meant eight percent of average, which that's right about it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. I guess this raises a question for me: Does it matter, and in what ways does it matter that our rain comes in just two two bursts? You know, as opposed to maybe a, a more sort of characteristic winter and summer where you're you're sort of spread out a little bit more. You have a little bit more frequent rain. Maybe the same amount, but a little bit more frequent. You know, th- th- this is a unique. Do you, first of all, do you have any analogs where that you can think of where years were basically the precept was basically concentrated in
1: in two short periods? This extreme, I can't I can't think of one as of late. It's not unheard of here, but it's certainly this year is sticking out as far as hitting the guardrails.
0: Yeah, we'll have to look into that.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. To I mean, it does matter
0: though that the the rain only came totally. in, two, in, in in two periods. A little bit, uh, it matters for that the fire conversation that yeah. we were just having. Yeah, it also seems like it matters for the for the drought situation. Whereas, sort of more frequent rain spread out over a longer period of time won't cause drought conditions. The description that that people are giving to
1: the to the drought, they, it won't cause them to be as severe. There's so many different. Aspects of it. There's the, I think the fire one we just talked about, which is if it's not, we could even have had half that amount of precip we had in February, but if it was spread out evenly over a couple of months, it probably would have matched the normal rate of accumulation over that month. And it would have then kept sort of refilling soil moisture deficits that would have emerged over that period of time, right? So then plants have access to water, these fire indices, you know, which are responding to short-term changes in relative humidity and drying out of fuels would constantly get sort of tabbed down, right? So then you don't end up having these chasms that open up within the middle of a season where you've got all this precip and then you don't really know where it's at or the soil moisture is responded to that quickly and is tailing off after that. The other aspect too is like having all that precip in July when we think about summer season, there's a lot of vegetation that needs to have some kind of tailing off through September and in October to just sort of, again, it's, I think, a soil moisture aspect. And then when we get into fall, a lot of our annual plants here are driven by fall precipitation. And so, you know, like the wildflowers here are, we have a lot of annual wildflowers that if it rains in October and November, they emerge in January and February. And they just, we didn't have it. We didn't have this year. And there's a lot of livestock grazing that actually happens, that happens off of annuals in the low deserts. And so that, that was an impact that, You knew it was happening in October, November, and the impact didn't show up for months later when you saw that you didn't end up having the ecological response that you would have expected by having Hmm. that. So even again, you could have a below average winter, but if it were tailed out over that whole period, you'd have a completely different response in a lot of these different. Well, also in a way,
0: receiving that rain in, in February, that's probably better than if it came in like mid march for example right I,
1: I was actually in my mind I was thinking it's probably better than it coming in january why why is that because it would have left if, so, if we got all that in january you are the, you're from january into february into march you're moving into a warmer yeah that was season. that was, was my that logic for, yeah. for
0: for for not, for why it was better than having received it in in march it was it would it stays on the landscape longer
1: Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, no, you're saying it's a good thing to get it in March. No, no,
0: no. I was saying that it's better to get it in in uh, February than March because when you get it in March, the temperatures are higher. Oh. It would stay on the landscape. Yeah, or, you
1: know, the, that's a that's interesting. That's a that's a good. But point. then again, if you
0: got it in January, I think the point maybe the point that you were making is you've got a longer time. Yeah, for you it. just have yeah. a longer time. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I, then again, it it probably goes back to where's the water going? How long is it staying in these different? you know, sort of reserves. I think getting snow versus rain really makes a big difference. And the February event was not a snow event. That's right. It was was, a a, a warm event. It was a warm event, long duration, super wet. It seemed to have had a real positive hydrologic response in a lot of kind of moving water around, recharging soil. But I think there's a lot of indications that it was – it's probably gone.
0: Every time we have this drought conversation, I just, so it, 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 it's, it's so nuanced yeah. right? because, yeah. I mean, you could get half the amount of precipitation, but if it was a cold storm and it was a lot more snow, that yep. could actually be better in some, for some impacts Absolutely. than the amount that we got under warm conditions. And obviously the timing, we just talked a little bit about the timing of it all matters. So there's all of these parts that are moving around that, you know, we often talk about the monsoon being this existential experience, but drought's kind of the same way. Oh yeah. You know, yeah, It depends on what your frame of reference is. If you're if you're thinking about fire, obviously it's it, what you want or what you don't want is different than if you're thinking about rangelands. If you're thinking about you know water impacts, right? You, know, you have all of these different sort of classifications of drought, from hydrologic drought to um, snow drought. To, yeah. You know, what I mean, there's other agricultural drought.
1: I think if you, you look at a lot of these precip accumulation curves, the Tucson one is the most. Perplexing because it has that precip event thrown into the right smack dab in the middle of the season, so it leaves you with this confusion of did it help, and what did it help, and how much did it help. Whereas if you look at some of the plots, like if you look at Winslow, it just didn't rain at all, right? So that that that's pretty clear. There's no nuance to that one, right? So some of the northern Arizona plots are terrible. They're just bad. Like it just didn't rain, and it's the record driest or the the near record driest. So. You'd expect the, the impacts to just be across the board. The Tucson one, is it's hard to know because it cut the deficit in half in three days for the winter season, and it was clearly great. But I don't know how much of an edge it took off of one sector versus another. Right. And I've talked to folks across Southeast Arizona who say this is terrible. That was a lifeline. It didn't do didn't do anything. <laughs> it depends. And so it, this one, is it's even harder for me to try to sort out.
0: Well, so that's a nice segue because you mentioned the northern Arizona and the very dry conditions up there. It's a good segue to talk about the spatial print of, of drought because we're entering into, at least by my estimation or, or, or by looking at the U.S. Drought Monitor maps here, we haven't been in a in a drought situation you have to go back to august 2004 for conditions to be labeled as extreme as they are now which actually caught me by surprise as well you're looking Isn't that at me, right? yeah yeah you're looking at me in a, in a in a weird way but you can you can i
1: have to fact check you on you this you can fact so, check so me so seriously i thought i thought it was 2006 uh, um, maybe you're right maybe that's that the extent of we probably have gotten worse than 2006 according to the drought monitor
0: so i was looking at the Amount of area okay. labeled under extreme. Yeah, or, yeah, that's or right. More. That's right. Because I
1: think that 2006 had less area classified as exceptional drought at this point, right? Right. Okay. So
0: where we are right now, then for Arizona, the U.S. Drought Monitor sort of releases their 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 drought maps. This is the the product that most of the news outlets pick up. It's 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 what's it's what's referred to when when people talk about drought. Although drought, as we just mentioned, is is much more nuanced and. Than the picture presented here, often close to ten percent of Arizona is labeled as exceptional drought, and that's their highest drought category. It's like it falls in looking at some of the indices that they look at in the top two percentile of of those of those products. So, very dry conditions, historical records in in, in many cases. Fifty four percent of the state is under extreme drought, uh, which is their second highest category. Thirty two is is moderate drought, only 4% of the state is less than severe droughts. let me say that again. 34% severe, uh, 54%-ish extreme, close to 10% exceptional. That's where we are. You know, if you go back right before the monsoon season. Yeah, a year ago. A year ago today, we were, it was basically no drought.
1: Last May, the the drought situation was not similar at all.
0: No, we we were basically under this product.
1: Half the state had no drought yeah. and there was a small uh, portion of it. That had moderate drought, moderate, which was
0: not a severe category. No, no, no.
1: And it was the southern part of the state. That's right. Right. Yeah.
0: So now you can vet me on this. So right now we're at conditions that were are more severe than they've been since when?
1: When I take a look at drought monitor for Arizona, we look at the historical time series. You can find similar conditions back in 2006. So the the drought period that emerged out of the winter of 2006 and into the spring ends up having about 14% of the state was at exceptional drought. The entire state was under some form of drought, and about half the the state was classified under extreme drought. If you look at the severe category, you have to go all the way back to there was a period of time with the 2012. So kind of the 2011, 2012 period where we were skating into drought. That's where the severe category really took over. But the depth of the drought, like we don't see the exceptional drought category. We're not supposed to see the exceptional drought category. It's a a one in 50 year drought event for a particular location at a particular time of year. So it's something that you shouldn't see a whole lot of. And we are, you know, we're now at almost 10% of the state at that. You have to go back to the last time we had any exceptional drought in Arizona was in uh, 2013. Then the 2011 drought period prior to that was at the height of the drought in 2006. And then you see this really pegged in Arizona, which is back to 2002, um, when we, we had the Rodeo Chattisky fire and uh, the Aspen fire down here.
0: Okay, so do you – because you're involved in this product in
1: some respects, I'm right? the, the state for the Arizona and the State Drought Committee, which provides recommendations to the Drought Monitor. So how authors.
0: is this thing how is this created?
1: It's a weekly product with a set of rotating authors. The authors are at different agencies and different locations across the United States. The author coordinates through local experts through a, an email listserv and uses a dozen, two dozen different indices, products, maps to try to take the previous week's drought monitor map and adjust it based on changing conditions.
0: Is it an agricultural product? And, and what I guess, let me elaborate on that. When I look at these maps, you can see very clearly that drought has a sudden onset. It can. The rate at which you go from zero extreme drought to 20% is, can be over a matter of a, a few weeks or or months, yeah, and yeah. I mean that to me is reflective of more agricultural in the in, in the sense that you know you're dealing with crops. Shorter term conditions really are responsive, or, or the crops are responsive to shorter term conditions. Yeah,
1: I, it's kind of known as flash drought. Flash droughts don't necessarily happen in Arizona; they happen in the Midwest and in the Great Plains. I think that that that's a that's a, a, a phenomenon that makes a lot of sense out here. The only time that I can see that we end up having that stark of a drought impact emerge or potentially emerge is if the monsoon uh, rains come in late. You know, so if if we are at the end of July and it hasn't rained, that to me is a situation where you could go full tilt on moving from like no drought to an intense short-term drought situation. Our large shifts in Arizona and the Southwest are, in a lot of cases, us catching up.
0: You're waiting a little bit. For we're that. not waiting,
1: but more <laughs> catching up. <laughs> maybe not intentionally waiting, but but more seeing how the situation has evolved that maybe we weren't totally had our head around, and then going, oh, we really need to kind of lean so it's conservative on conservative in that sense. It is very conservative, maybe too much in some respects because we end up having to wait to hear how bad things are, so we're kind of late to the game. And one of the the issues I think we really struggle with too is, is when to turn it off. We're going to have a real tough time as the monsoon comes in this summer.
0: We describe where we are right now. And obviously we're getting into a time when there's no hope for precipitation. It's only going to get warmer. I mean, yeah. I shouldn't say there's no yeah. hope. We, there's very little hope or you wouldn't expect it. Right. Like, is this something where drought's going to
1: get worse? This is a philosophical discussion in the sense that can drought get worse in a dry season? in a dry place. I have always been in the mind of not necessarily pushing drought conditions in a, in a month like May because you wouldn't expect, but there's a there's the counter too, which is are we having intensifying drought conditions because of temperatures being warmer than they should be? Can there be a drought pressure by having warmer than average temperatures well then that's
0: I, that's interesting because is, then it? then in the season in a particular season yeah. the drought isn't
1: it's not a ra- it's not a rain thing it's not a rain thing you know no it's a water balance thing it's like a research interest of mine now too is, is so if may is warmer than average is there more intense drought or is is there a possibility of having a drought intensification? Probably so, but it would you know it's completely depend on what you're talking about and and if it was cooler than average and it didn't rain, would that mean that you'd end up having less of a drought impact? Could you reel drought in? because but are you it just, was? would
0: you just be nipping around the margins like with with temperature and like? I think
1: yes. Yeah. So which is why I end up not arguing for dramatic uh, degradations in dry months. What I like to see is I like to see a lot of action. When a wet month isn't wet, but not not on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. So what I'll be looking for this summer is looking for a late monsoon. And then I wouldn't have any problem of like pushing hard on but it can't get a lot worse right. on this. But it's on the, the counter is like if we have a really wet July again, how much of this do we pull back? Right. Because some of these impacts are actually gonna be on the landscape until next winter, and they won't actually ameliorate until you get winter precip again. So even if it rains, you could still end up having a remaining impact.
0: So when you're thinking about how much do we pull back on it, that particular question, you know, I sort of frame this as, is this an agricultural product? Mm-hmm. When you're thinking about how much to pull back on it, it's not just thinking about crops. Nope. You're sort of integrating
1: all of these, these impacts, these concerns. The job Monitor used to have, and you remember this, it used to have the, it used to know ag versus, do you remember, water versus, it had like, it had sectoral impacts yeah, on uh-huh. it. Yeah, they got rid of them, and it's now short and long-term, long-term. drought. And so it's supposed to be this timescale drought. It sort and you're of aligns to, a little bit. Kind of. Uh, uh, it, but it doesn't mean the same thing yeah. depending on where you're at. right? right. It's going to have to have this sort of local nuance you can draw out of it. I think we should say, because
0: we had a pretty good – I mean good in terms of total monsoon precipitation. We had a pretty good last monsoon season. The drought conditions now are solely
1: a product of the winter. They are, but – I don't want to take away how awesome the July was last oh, year. Oh, that's that's true. You know that's I mean? a, it's a like, good point.
0: The picture doesn't derive just from one metric of the monsoon, right. a total amount. It, it also yeah. is about frequency. It's yeah. also about other things.
1: So say, for example, we hit average last monsoon, but we had a wet period for a couple days in July, a wet period for a couple days in August and September, but it wouldn't stick in your mind as being an awesome monsoon, right? And it probably wouldn't for me either because we'd end up having these... Clusters of thunderstorms and then these hot miserable days in between. It we got another burst in August, and we got another burst in September. Uh, climatologically, it probably looked great, and it probably had a better effect in the way the delivery of the precip, depending on what you know the sector is we're talking about. But it wouldn't have been as spectacular and mind blowing as the July we had, followed by the epic dry August and September. There's a perception thing that August and September drydown was a problem for. A lot of sort of ecosystem and, uh, you know, kind of ag sector.
0: And we also got, we did not receive any dollop from a tropical storm or anything like that. Yeah, we, yeah. October.
1: Yeah, totally, totally missed out on that action.
0: Yeah, since I lost my brain um, (laughs) and I can't Google, did we, did we hit all the talking points, Mike? You got anything else you want to? You just
1: have to give us the, um, the ENSO forecast and the monsoon outlook.
0: The ENSO forecast. (laughs) (laughs) I think that there's some, Warm water in the subsurface that gives a hint that it might be an El Niño. There doesn't appear to be any sort of
1: yeah. We haven't heard this overly, before. Overly strong signal. Never, to, yeah. never heard this before.
0: This time of year, anyway. I think we should make this point. And so, for our neck of the woods, uh, and so becomes less of a predictor of the what's immediately in front of us. Yeah. it's more of a predictor of of winter precipitation.
1: I mean, I don't think it's a predictor at all. Works of our colleagues have suggested that La Niñas can lean us early. And so if we were going to rely on that, we can't because we lost La Nina. Right. I that's think right. that signal is pretty much wound down. So we're back into neutral. So I think we're right with you. So climatology, baby. <laughs> <All right. laughs>
0: Betting on climatology. All right. So what's our bet then? I number. The, okay. How about this? Number, question number of now. days of over 100 degree, 100 degree Fahrenheit temperatures in May for Tucson. Number of days. Oh,
1: that's a good one. We already have two. We already have so two. So can't be one. Don't bet one. Seven. You total seven? Mm-hmm. Okay. Climatology is four.
0: Yeah. We went over that before. Yeah, yeah. But it's actually increasing. So I would say, I think seven's a good. That's uh, pretty good. good. But but you know what? It. I'm going to go nine. I knew you were gonna going to go nine. nine. I knew you were going to go
1: nine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to look back on the record. I think there's only been like one year with nine. All feeling- right, and then for next month, how many days over 110? Ooh, ooh.
0: Thanks everybody uh, for tuning in, and uh, hope happy, you have a great May.
1: Happy graduation, Zach. Happy graduation. Good luck tonight. you, um, <laughs> March. <laughs>
0: The Southwest Climate Podcast is a production of CLIMAS, which is part of NOAA's Regional Integrated Science and Assessment Program and is housed at the University of Arizona Institute of the Environment. Mike Crimmins is a principal investigator with CLIMAS, a professor of soil, water, and environmental science in the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences, and climate extension specialist with the University of Arizona Cooperative Extension. Zach Guido is a research scientist with the Institute of the Environment and UA program manager
1: of the International Research and Applications Program. The podcast is edited and produced by Ben McMahon, research, outreach, and assessment specialist with
0: Klemis. My computer just shut down. Did it really? What happened? <laughs> I just I just lost my brain. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, I can do this off the top of my okay, head. Good. I can do this off the top of All my right. head. Yeah, let's do it. Um, no, I can't.